0: in 2011 the National Institute for Health commissioned a study on the correlation between health and relationships one of the things that this groundbreaking study uncovered was that people who had a few close supportive friendships outside of their immediate family were actually healthier than people who didn't not just emotionally healthier but actually physically healthier in fact what they discovered is that people who were connected to others actually live longer than people who were more isolated I was sharing that with a friend of mine who was dealing with some drama in his home group he was dealing with some issues with some of the people he was connected to and I shared with him about connected people live longer and without breaking a smile he said simply Philip that's not true having other people in your life doesn't actually make you live longer it just makes it feel like you are living longer and look I get it relationships are messy Right? It takes a, a lot of work to maintain connections. It takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. It requires a lot of grace and space and forgiveness. But as difficult as it is to maintain authentic relationships with a few others, it is essential for our health. And nowhere is that more true than in our spiritual health relationships are essential for you to grow spiritually you've heard me say this many times before you cannot grow spiritually outside the context of relationships why do I say that because our faith is a relational faith it's built on our personal relationship with God that is lived out in our relationships with each other. That's why we as a church have decided to spend six weeks focusing on what it means to live in authentic community. Because it is in authentic community that we live out our faith. And here at Cedar Creek, we experience that authentic community In our home groups that's why home groups are the heart of who we are as a church because it's an authentic community that the heart of our faith comes alive and so last week we kicked off this series and study by focusing on what a home group does We looked at five things that every healthy home group should be doing. And we found these five things not in the latest church growth manual, not in the coolest conference about growing a church. We found it by looking at the original church. The original church in Jerusalem. And we looked at the five things that those early believers did when they met together in homes. And we talked about how we can do those things in our homes today. My goal last week was to paint a picture of what a home group is and what a home group can do for you. Today, I'm going to flip the script. Today, I'm going to move from talking about what a home group can do for you to looking at what you can do for a home group. In the words of that great theologian, John F. Kennedy, ask not what your home group can do for you, but what you can do for your home group. Five things you need to do as a part of a home group. And if you'll do these things, You will get the most out of that group. You'll be able to maximize all that time and energy and grace and forgiveness. All the work you're putting in to maintain those connections. You'll get the benefit that God designs for those connections. Five things to get the most out of your group. One, prioritize it. You have to prioritize it. I mean, it's not rocket science. You can't get a lot out of your group without actually being with your group. Now, I've spent 20 years doing this. I've spent 20 years of my life trying to convince, cajole, encourage people to connect an authentic community in a home group. And a lot has changed in the last 20 years. A lot has changed in the culture we live in. A lot has changed within the church. But you know the one thing that hasn't changed in 20 years? That is the number one reason why people don't get connected. The number one reason has been the same for 20 years. You can probably guess what it is. I can't go to a home group because I am too what? Busy, right? I'm busy. You're busy. We're all busy. Busy is how we live today. It is the new normal. And look, I understand busy. Raising five children, pastoring a church. I get busy. And I get busier and busier, it seems like, the older I get. But I also know this to be true about my life. I don't know about you, but in my life, the truth is, no matter how busy I am, somehow, I always figure out a way to make time for the things I really want to do. Somehow, I'm able to squeeze in the things that are really important to me, see in my life. I don't know about you, but in my life, it's less about how busy I am, and more about how important things are to me. Now, here's what's interesting: this busyness is not a new phenomenon. In fact, actually, in fact we can actually go back two thousand years and see it in the early church. Because look at what the writer of Hebrews says: Hebrews ten twenty-five. He says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another. Circle that word, habit. Connecting an authentic community needs to be a habit. What is a habit? A habit is anything you do consistently and frequently. Anything that you do over and over so that it becomes just a normal part built into your life. See, that's the thing. We all got habits. The question we need to ask is, are the habits of my life leading me to the life I want to live? Are the habits I have developed in my life forming me into the person I want to be? Because that's what habits are doing in your life. What's that old saying? You know, sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle, reap a destiny. Your habits are forming you and taking you somewhere. The question is, is that who you want to be? And this is so true in our spiritual journey. Habits are critical to spiritual growth. Some people call them spiritual disciplines, but they're basically habits. Things you do consistently and frequently. They're core, they're foundational to spiritual growth. Your spiritual growth is not going to happen magically. You're not going to absorb it from just showing up on Sundays. You're not going to absorb it just by you know reading through the Bible in a year. There are things you have to do consistently like daily time engaged with God's Word. Praying without ceasing, having the habit of praying about anything and everything, no matter how big or how small. And I'm telling you that connecting with a small group of other believers to do life together is a habit that is essential for your spiritual growth. The second thing we have to do to get the most out of our, our group is not only we've got to prioritize it, but secondly, we've got to share honestly and humbly with others. Share honestly and humbly with others. Humility is a big deal for spiritual growth. It's a big deal in your group. Nothing will kill a group faster than a Mr. or Mrs. know-it-all. The person who not only has all the answers to the Bible questions, but think they have all the answers to the problems in your life. And not only will a know-it-all kill a group, But a know-it-all attitude will keep me from getting all I can out of my group. See, most of you, when I said Mr. or Mrs. Know-it-all, you immediately thought about somebody in your life or your group, right? I mean, don't look at them, but you were thinking about them. But here's the truth. We all got a little bit of know-it-all in us, don't we? Maybe depending on the subject or depending on the issue, we all got a little bit of of know-it-all in us. And so our tendency is, when we think we know it all, we're not open to listening to or learning from others. We don't think other people have anything that can help us. You know what the Bible calls that? Pride. And pride is one of the biggest barriers to spiritual growth. And that's so very true in your home group. We don't go to home group to impress each other. We go to home group to express whatever's going on in our lives. The Bible puts it this way, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be what? What's that word? Be humble. What does that mean? It means do not be interested only in your own life but be interested in the lives of others. I love Pastor Rick Warren's definition of humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is just thinking of yourself less. And the more you bring that attitude into your connections, the more you're going to grow. You know, I shared last week about one of the great things about our home group Bible studies is that they're interactive and participative. It's not a lecture. It's not a Bible brainiac impressing everybody with the charts and maps and Greek and Hebrew words and all the things they know. It's about people honestly gathering around the truth of God's Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit sharing how God is speaking to them, looking at it from different perspectives, different angles. But if you come in with a, I can't learn anything from them, you'll miss what God wants to teach you through those connections. But look, humility is not just being open to learning from others. Humility is also about being honest with each other. Notice 1 John 1, 7. The Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You know, we talked last week about that word fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. Fellowship is where people bond to each other over their shared love of Jesus. You know, for years when I I would read this passage and read that phrase, walk in the light, I always assumed it just meant doing the right thing. Walking in righteousness, you know, following all the rules, being a good little boy. But the more I understand the whole counsel of God's word, the more I realize part of walking in the light is about being honest with God, honest with myself, and honest with the few trusted others about the struggles in my life. Walking in the light is about living in transparency with others. So this this verse is saying there's a connection between transparency and fellowship. And not only does being honest with each other bond us to each other, but it brings healing into our lives. As we begin to open up and share, the more open we become about our struggles, the more free we become from the bondage of that struggle. Why? Why? Because it's our secrets that make us sick. It's not the things we've done or haven't done. It's the fact that we hide them from others and we stuff them under the bed and we don't want anybody to know we have that in our life. And the problem was in the dark under the bed, the monster gets bigger. It's only when the monster is brought out into the light that you can see it in the light of God's grace, God's love, His power. And it no longer has power over you. You can be free from that bondage, but you gotta quit hiding it. From yourself and others. Now, now, when I say be honest with everything that's going on in your life, I'm not saying show up at home group next week, unzip, unzip your heart, and dump out all the garbage of all the years. And I'm not saying, you know, become that whiny EGR that's always complaining in group, you know, life is bad, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm gonna go eat some worms. I'm not talking about that. What I am saying is just be real and open and honest with a few trusted believers and find the healing that God has for you because that's where the blood of Jesus starts to purify you, set you free from your sin. I can't tell you how, how many times in my life God has used that. My home group is a healing place. You know why? Because in my home group, I'm not Pastor Philip Lee. I'm just Philip Lee, regular guy who struggles with life, struggles with fear, struggles with doubt, struggles with temptation, and struggles with sin. But as I share that openly, people can come alongside, encourage me, hold me accountable, and it brings freedom from all that junk in my trunk. Number three, the third thing you have to do to get the most out of your group is listen to others with respect and courtesy. Listen to others with respect and courtesy. I mean, if you want people to listen to and care about you, then you have to be willing to listen to and care about them. And most of us don't do a good job of really listening, especially those of us of the male persuasion. Guys, how many of you Have ever been told by your wife or your girlfriend or another female in your life that you don't listen well? How many of you have been told you're not a good listener? Yeah, that is a lot of us. You know why that's true? Because we often listen not to understand, but to fix. We listen to try to figure out how to solve the problem instead of just trying to understand the heart of the person with the problem. I get that. It's, it's so much our tendency sometimes to want to cut people off, but let me just tell you your wife, your girlfriend, that person in your life that's sharing their heart and their struggle with you, they're not necessarily looking for you to fix it. They just want you to understand how they feel because it's in that understanding that you can connect with them. My wife teaches a class called Mental Health First Aid. It's like CPR except for mental health. And we train folks to be able to deal with and help a person who is in a mental health crisis or moving towards a mental health crisis and sort of get them to their next level of care. Do you know what the first step of Mental Health First Aid is? Listen non-judgmentally. Listen non-judgmentally. What does that mean? Listen and stop trying to tell them why what they feel isn't valid or what they need to do to fix what they feel. Just understand what they are feeling. The Bible puts it this way, Romans fifteen two, from the Living Bible paraphrase. It says, we must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and fears of others. Notice it doesn't say be considerate of the doubts and fears of others if their doubts and fears are legit. And it doesn't say be considerate of the doubts and fears of others if their doubts and fears line up with your doubts and fears. See, that's the thing about doubts and fears. My doubts and fears make perfect sense to me. They probably seem a little crazy to you and vice versa. It's not about the reality or the logical nature of the doubts and fears. It's just understanding what somebody is feeling and what they're going through. Now listen, listen. This doesn't mean that we just sit there and smile and nod and ignore destructive thinking. Or destructive behavior it just means we seek to understand before seeking to be understood why because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and that starts with just listening with respect and courtesy no matter what they're sharing with you and then number four the fourth thing you got to do to get the most out of these connections is you got to be willing to help others you got to be willing to help others. See, home group is not just a great place to get help, it's a great place to give help. The Bible says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes you're the weeper, and sometimes you're the one weeping with. Sometimes you're the rejoicer, and sometimes you're the one rejoicing with. But either way, both are helpful. Both are healing. In fact, one of the best ways to get through what you're going through is to help somebody else get through what they're going through. Helping others often takes our eyes off of our problems, our issues, our struggles, and helps us find hope and freedom in spite of what we're going through. I was talking with a good friend of mine last week who has helped so many folks over the last 10 years with recovery. He's helped hundreds of people through the recovery process, and he and I were talking last week, and he was kind of in a bad place and kind of really struggling, and I said, man, well, I'm praying for you. He said, pray that, but what I most need to do is turn around and help somebody else. That's the best way for me to keep my sobriety, to keep moving forward, is get my eyes off my own issues and help somebody else. Which, by the way, that's the 12th step of a 12-step program. To turn back and help others. And in doing that, you're not only blessing them, but I'm telling you, you will be blessed in ways you can't imagine. Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Sometimes those burdens are emotional. Sometimes they're physical. They need a meal. They need help moving. They need some work done. They've got a project. It's not the type of help that matters. It's the act of helping that will make a difference for them, but will also make a difference for you. That's how the church is designed to operate. And here at Cedar Creek, Home Group is the place and the platform for us to help each other. And then finally, number five, the fifth thing we have to do to maximize our connection. And this is a biggie. we got to give and receive accountability. we got to give and receive accountability. Look, Home Group is not some hippie love fest. Home Group is not a bunch of people in tie-dyed shirts circling up, holding hands, singing kumbaya, I'm okay, you're okay, we're a happy family. No, home group is where people love each other enough to tell them the truth, even when that truth is hard. We all need people like that in our lives. You know why? Because we all got blind spots. We all have things about ourselves that are unhealthy, damaging, that we can't. See, and we need others who love us enough to point that out. It's like taillights in your car. You ever had a tail light burn out? How'd you know? Somebody had to tell you, right? Somebody had to say, hey, your lights burn out. You got taillights in your life that are out, and you need somebody who loves you enough to point that out to you. In fact, notice what the Bible says. Hebrews 10 24. Now remember, we started. With Hebrews 10, 25, don't give up the habit of meeting together. Well, the verse right before that gives us one of the reasons it's important. Look at what it says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Circle that word spur. You know what I think of when I hear the word spur? No, Gamecock fans, it's not that. I think of that little metal disc that a cowboy wears on the heel of their boot and they use that metal disc to rub against the flanks of the horse and it's uncomfortable it hurts a little bit they do that not because they're mad at the horse they do that to get the horses attention so the horse can go in the right direction and stay in a safe place that's what spurring means we need people who love us enough to rub some spurs against us. But it's got to be done in relationship, right? Speaking the truth in love is not just speaking the truth to anybody and everybody you pass. You can't hold somebody accountable unless they are willing and you have shown and demonstrated a commitment, a love to them. Speaking the truth in love to acquaintances will not move them forward. It will move them further away. That's why a cowboy doesn't use spurs on a strange horse. You spur a strange horse and that horse is going to revolt. It's not going to move the way you want, it's going to rear, it's going to buck, it's going to fight against it. But when that bond is built between the cowboy and the horse, that little bit of pain gets that attention and moves that horse because trust has been built. You know what it's called when you try to speak truth to people you're not in an authentic relationship with? It's called being judgmental. And that's what most people outside of the church think that most people in the church are like. And I'm telling you here, we want to change that narrative. It's not that we ignore the truth. It's that we make sure we speak it into the lives of people who know we love them. We all need that in our lives. So let me just ask you, whose life are you speaking truth into? Who have you invested enough time and energy and demonstrated enough unconditional love that God could use you to keep them from running their life off a cliff? Or let me ask you this question. Who's speaking truth into your life? Who's watching your back? Who have you given permission to to have hard conversations with you when you need them? We all need accountability in our lives and our spiritual journey. I'm just saying here at Cedar Creek, home group is probably the best place to get and give that. We need accountability. And then as I close, here's what I want to give you an opportunity to do. To, To respond, to take a next step in your faith journey. For those of you that are connected to a group, Here's what I want you to do. Take your outline. Look at these five things we've talked about and ask God to reveal to you right now which one of those do you most need to work on? Which one of those are you the weakest in in your connection with your home groups? And then I want you to just put a star beside it. Don't star all five of them. Just pick one. Pick one. Just put a star by one and that is a commitment you're making before God today. You're not going to show this Now, don't turn this in. This is your commitment between you and God to take some steps towards increasing that in your connections. Now, for those of you who are not connected in a group, obviously your next step is to reach out and get connected. But I want you to go beyond that. If you choose to make that decision this week or sometime in the future where you step up and get connected to a group, don't just go to group. It's a lot of work just to show up. What I'm saying is start from day one, living these five out. Go into the group expecting to invest these five things in the group so that you will get more out of the group. Listen, I don't know where you are on your faith journey, but I do know this. There is no greater way for you to move forward spiritually than to get connected an authentic community with a few other believers and then start applying these five things to those relationships. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, I, I thank you for the reminder, but I thank you for the conviction in my own life. Even in teaching this today, I realize so many places where I'm weak in this where I'm not making the most out of those connections. So God, would you give me the courage and the strength to move forward this week. And Lord, I I pray for my friends, these family members here that I love and care deeply for. Lord, would, would your spirit move among us at all of our campuses this morning, all of our folks watching online, Would you convict us where we need to be moving? Would you encourage us where we're discouraged? Would you remove the walls and barriers and lies of the enemy that keep us trapped and isolated and in bondage? Because we want to live for your glory. And we do that best when we live in the peace and freedom That comes from you. Thank you Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.